Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Look at Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at uh, Paul's uh, second missionary journey, the beginning of his second missionary journey. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed last weekend, and I thought uh, Pastor Bryant gave us a wonderful challenge. It was kind of funny because when he said, turn to Acts, I thought, please not chapter 16. Please not chapter 16. <laughs> but I think it's neat because, you know, the truth is when God orchestrates things like that, I think the Lord has a message in it for us. And I think God's doing a work in this place that's really phenomenal to watch. And I think it's exciting to see how uh, people are excited about the Lord and about uh, what God is doing and where God's leading and following him and what it means to walk by faith and all those different factors. And so I'd just be encouraged and, and blessed in that. But I, I really enjoyed, if you missed uh, Alex and Oksana, uh, boy, I tell you what, you missed it. Uh, they're just precious, precious people back over in parts that uh, most of us think, wow, uh, at least I do. I, I'm amazed by them and their, their stand for the Lord um, and their willingness to die to self and, and just literally give all of their life to Christ day by day. And so I appreciate you praying for them. Uh, they did get back home safely, and they're there. We had a little bit of a scare because Alex evidently landed, didn't have uh, uh, internet connection, so he wasn't able to communicate with everybody that he had gotten there. So two days later, we finally got the word that he had gotten there safely, you know. But anyway, uh, just a tremendous missions conference, and I appreciate all the work that was put into that. And then uh, I also appreciate the message that came out of that. And we're going to continue to look at how God is at work all around us. Do you believe that? Do you realize that in the midst of your circumstances, think of infinity. That's hard for us to put our minds around, isn't it? We think about the Lord being infinite, infinite, forever and ever and ever. And not just forward, but backward. Never having had a beginning, never having an end. The infinite, eternal, self-existent I am. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? I can remember sitting, uh, laying in bed before I'd go to sleep, trying to think about infinity, trying to think about forever. And I would go forward, and that was a little bit easier because I figured, well, I'm not going to die. I mean, that's a good thing. I'm going I'm to go on and on and on and on. But when I started to try to go backwards and think about the, the fact that God never had a beginning, that was incomprehensible. God is vast. He's at work all around us. And do you realize that he's infinitely available to each and every one of us? He's infinitely a part of everything that happens within our lives. Is there anything that takes place in your life that suddenly surprised God? Is there something that you've done, either good or perhaps bad, where you go, oh man, God just went, what? No. The Lord is sovereign. We talk about the sovereignty of God. It's mind-boggling. We talk about the infinite capability of God in our lives. It's mind-boggling. The things that seem like they really aren't that important. The things that we take for granted on a normal, regular, daily basis. God is intimately acquainted with. He is orchestrating it for our benefit, even when it doesn't appear that way. Maybe it doesn't feel that way. He's constantly at work for us as believers to conform us to his image. 
God is at work all around us. The question is, are we following him? That's the question. Are we looking for him? Are we looking to see how he's at work? Are we looking to experience him? Are we saying yes to him in the midst of life? No matter what happens, are we saying, Lord, I know you're sovereign over this. What do you want to teach me in the midst of this? Lord, be in me what I'm not. Would you allow me to experience your peace and your grace, your wisdom, your love? And through my life, through my attitudes, through my actions, would you be revealed? Would you be glorified? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? God's at work all around us. The question is, are we following him? Are we looking for him? I think one of the things to take out of this message this morning is simply that. When Paul begins the second missionary journey, there's an amazing uh, circumstance that takes place here, a sequential circumstance. And when you look at it and you look at all the different things that he goes through, you come away from it and you, you understand, number one, Paul didn't plan it. He didn't sit down at Antioch with a group of the, the smartest people in the church, the, the best people in the church, and say, wow, man, this is great. We're gonna, this is how we're going to do this. <laughs> God's sovereign over this stuff. Paul said, all right, Lord, here am I. And God said, oh, great, you're going to go, and you're not going to go with Barnabas this time. You're going to go with Silas. And oh, by the way, we're going we're to connect you with Timothy on the way. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to not be allowed to go to certain places that you think you ought to be going. And I'm going to give you a vision, and I'm going to take you into Macedonia to where you're going to preach the gospel so that the gospel can go into Europe and ultimately years later into America. And oh, by the way, Paul, you don't know this yet, but you're going to meet a lady named Lydia, and she's going to come to know me because I've got the plan. You just stick with me. And I'll lead you in what I want you to do. See, when we really believe in the sovereignty of God, when we really believe that God is at work all around us, the question is, are we following him? Are we trusting him with what he wants to do? Even when we don't fully understand it, we recognize that his character is good all the time. So look at Acts chapter 16 and four things this morning, all right? I got to change it up every once in a while, but four things... Acts 16, 1 through 15. First of all, there's the provision of Timothy, right? Provision of Timothy. Secondly, there's the strengthening of the church. And I love this. Because the strengthening of the church in the faith leads to the multiplying, the increasing of the body of Christ. Beautiful. There's the direction of the Holy Spirit. Are we sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? This is actually really funny to watch Paul in this. Can't wait to talk to him one day about it. There's the reception of the gospel. When we begin to follow God and we begin to trust the Lord and we begin to walk in his ways and what he wants us to do, then what happens? God through us begins to be revealed and God gives us all kinds of opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So first, the provision of Timothy. In verse 1, he says, Paul came also to Derbe, and to Lystra. Now, I think we got a map on this one, and I hope it's clear. Um, the whole picture here of this journey, he's actually backtracking where he had been. He wants to go to these places, and instead of going uh, from east to west, in effect, he goes the other way. He leaves Antioch, and he begins to track. Do we have that map? Do we got that thing up there? Uh, maybe not. 
There it is. Can you see it? Okay, so he starts at Antioch, and he heads towards Tarsus, and then he hits Derby, and he hits Lystra, Iconium, that whole area, and on he goes. He goes up to Troas. We're going to cover all the way to where he gets to the Macedonian vision, where he ends up going towards Philippi. An amazing thing, because here he is on foot. He's just following God. He's walking with him. He's going with what God wants him to do. So he starts out, Paul also came to Derby to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, if you remember contextually, Paul just had had a split with Barnabas over another young man named Mark, John Mark. And the Lord is sovereign over that. When we trust the Lord, when we're walking with him, we know that God will provide. We know that God will raise up. We know that God will lead us. And in the midst of that circumstance where Barnabas and Paul had a heated exchange, they had a split, they had division there, uh, Barnabas wanting to take Mark, Paul not wanting to because of certain circumstances that had happened in the past on the first missionary journey, they split. Paul had already sovereignly put Silas there. Paul takes Silas with him, and as they're going, they come to a place and they meet this young man named Timothy. He had undoubtedly been saved through the first missionary journey, and Paul had come the other way. And Timothy has grown in the faith. He calls him a disciple. An individual who is willing to follow Christ. He had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had been saved. But now he's a disciple. And he wants to walk with the Lord. He's well spoken of by the brethren who were in that area. So there was a testimony concerning his life. There's a consistency there. And Paul wants to take Timothy with him. And he circumcises him because he doesn't want there to be a distraction between the Jews and the Gentiles. The believing Jews and the believing Gentiles. We'd just gone through the whole council. We had gone through the attack on grace. The Jews... The Judaizers were saying you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. They go back down to Jerusalem. They establish, no you don't, but we're going to ask you to do certain things as Gentiles in order not to offend the Jews. So, hey, Jews, believing Jews, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. Hey, Gentiles, believing Gentiles, there are certain things here that we want you to respect with regard to the Jewish people to make sure that there's unity, to make sure that there's a cohesiveness within the body of Christ and not allow these little things, these secondary things, to get into the way of the main thing, which is the proclamation of the gospel into these regions. So Paul takes this into his hands and he makes sure that there is not going to be a division. He makes sure that the gospel stays the main thing. That unity is preserved, guarded, watched over. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2 we know that in all probability Paul had led Timothy to the faith because he calls him son. Beloved son in some passages. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we know that Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and mom, Eunice, were both believers, had taught Timothy from his childhood scripture. He had grown up learning the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3.15, we understand that even from childhood he had learned these things. When Paul came on his first missionary journey and he preached the, the gospel of grace, 
Timothy responded and is saved. He's got a rich heritage with regard to Scripture and the Word of God. You know, it's interesting, when we're looking for God in the midst of life and we're, we're looking for where is God at work, so often the Lord will raise up Timothy's for us to come alongside and mentor, to disciple, to build relationship with, to teach them what God is teaching us, what God has taught us, to encourage them with what God has done in our lives. We're called to make disciples. And make disciples is really two factors. It's an evangelistic moment where we bring people to the cross. It's also an equipping moment where we teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. It's a both and. It's all under the umbrella of making disciples. As we're walking with the Lord, has God put a Timothy in your life? Ladies, is there somebody God's raised up for you to come alongside and mentor and encourage a young lady, perhaps. Maybe you need to be mentored. (laughs) Maybe you're the Timothy. You need somebody who's been there, done that, who can encourage you, who can walk with you and strengthen you in the word of God and the faith. Are you willing to be mentored? The flip side of that. When we begin to walk with the Lord, God does all kinds of things in terms of relationships. And all around us, we have an opportunity to see God at work. The question is, are we following him? In this circumstance, it's awesome to watch how God sovereignly connected Paul and Timothy. Tremendous fruit out of that. We can see that throughout the rest of the New Testament. Well, there's also the strengthening of the church. In verse 4, now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decree which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. And so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in numbers daily. I think this is a fascinating point because Paul and Silas here are passing on to the believers those decrees, those dogmas, if you want to translate it specifically, to the Gentile believers, to the Jewish believers. To summarize it, hey, Jewish believers, they don't have to be circumcised in order to come to know Christ, to be saved, and or, once they're saved, they don't have to be circumcised in order to be approved of God. It's by the work of Christ at the cross, period. Hey, Gentile believers, make sure you're sensitive to your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sure that you understand that these things that we're asking you to observe are kept so that the main thing is the main thing, which is that we are spreading the gospel, that we are unified as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that the gospel is being proclaimed through us. So Paul is passing this along to these churches. Paul is going to them and he's sharing with them, here's what we're to do. And in the midst of that, The churches are being strengthened in the faith. And they're increasing in number daily. Now that's a fascinating statement. The idea of being strengthened here is not that they were strengthening themselves. Here's the 10-step program in order for me to be a super Christian. That's not it. What were they doing? They're passing along grace. They're emphasizing grace. 
They're emphasizing a relationship with Christ even when it means that you die to your rights for the sake of your brother and sister in Christ. They're emphasizing God. And they're saying, follow him. Die to self. Give your life to the Lord. Walk with him. Follow him. And in the midst of that, they're being strengthened. He says strengthened in the faith. Strengthened means to be strengthened, but it's in the passive, meaning they were being strengthened. They weren't strengthening themselves. In the faith, it's very specific. It's articular. The faith. What does that mean? All the things about Christ. Taking the word of God and recognizing how to walk with God, what it means to walk by faith, to be persuaded that God is able in spite of my inability, to be persuaded about the relationship that I'm called into through Jesus Christ, being reconciled to the Father. How are we walking by faith? How are we being uh, changed and transformed in the way that we think, the way that we see things because the word of God is brought to bear in our lives and changes our attitudes and activities, the thinking of how we're supposed to walk. And in the midst of all that, they're being strengthened in that. God through them is strengthening them. And as a result, God in them is then being revealed to the world around them. And what's happening is people are being changed and people are recognizing that change and they're recognizing that this hope that they're talking about, this assurance of salvation in Christ alone is true because they see that the people of God are actually living it. And God is adding to their numbers. Folks, I don't know how to stress this enough. I really don't. In our day and age, the idea of growth has become just a focal point to the point where I I almost fear that we've lost the perspective. Who adds the growth? God adds the growth. Somebody asked me something three years ago that's kind of, and I say haunted in a good way. It's been on my mind a lot. Can God trust you? Can God trust Hoffmantown with more people? Oh, take a step back and think about that for a second. If God begins to add to our numbers, what are they going to get? That's the issue, isn't it? Are they going to get Christ? Are they going to be strengthened in the faith? What are are they going to come into? See, that's an essential question. That's an essential thing. All of us got to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, Lord, are we walking with you? Are Are we truly seeking you? Are we willing to do whatever it is that you want? Are we being transformed internally in our own walk with you? Or are we just coming on Sunday morning and we're singing a few songs and then we go live whatever way we want the rest of the week? See, if we're not in unity, well then how... How is the Lord bringing other people? How is he going to add to our numbers? Because what they're going to get is kind of the Hatfield-McCoy moment where they're getting called into the middle of a crossfire. Who wants that? We say we believe in Jesus and we say that we love Jesus and then look at the way we treat one another. And I'm I'm just saying, hey, folks, we got to think through that. we got to pray through that. One of the things that personally over the last few years that I have felt absolutely challenged every day being here is make sure the believers are strengthened in the faith. 
Get them into the word of God. One of the things I'm going to share with some of the leaders uh, later on is that the Christ-centered people are the greatest hope for the church because it's the Christ-centered people who are willing to share their faith. It's the Christ-centered people who are willing to give. It's the Christ-centered people who God is doing tremendous things within them and then through them, they're willing to follow God. One of the greatest hopes for the church is to strengthen believers in their walk with the Lord so that God is changing them. And then God is being revealed through them. Strengthen the body. Strengthen the body. Strengthen the body. Give them the word of God. Give them the word of God. Because it's the people who respond to the word of God who are being transformed that are going to be used in a mighty way by God. He was strengthening them. Paul and Silas were coming alongside, strengthening them in the faith. God was increasing them in numbers daily. Well, there's the direction of the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Oh, I love this. <laughs> this is great. I, I don't know. I, I got to read into this just a little bit, okay? Can we do that in a, in a spiritually, hopefully correct way? Do you think Paul was stubborn? I do. I think God did a tremendous work in his life. I think God changed him in tremendous ways. I think Paul was one amazingly stubborn dude. I think you can see that on the road to Damascus. I think you can see that in in his growth as a believer. I think you can see that even in his argument with Barnabas. When Paul put his mind to something, buddy, look out, Jack. Get out of his way. Right? I mean, he was a Pharisee after all, right? He had been trained under Gamaliel. The amount of knowledge this guy had in his brain is indescribable. And when he came to Christ and he's confronted by the Lord on the road to Damascus... (laughs) what did the Lord say to him? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. In other words, you've been kicking against me for a while, brother. You've been fighting me for a while. Paul, I think, is one amazingly stubborn guy. And God used that, obviously. God brought some really cool things out of that because he was zealous for the faith. Well, here what we have is a, a picture of a guy who's got a calling, a guy who understands exactly what the Lord's told him to do, which is to take the gospel to the Gentiles who have never heard the gospel, a guy who is an apostle, who has been sent with a specific message. And on this journey, he's trying to get into some areas that he knows he hasn't been before. Remember, he's, he's tracking. First missionary journey, kind of they came the other way. Second missionary journey, they're going back. They're visiting these churches. He gets to a point where he goes, oh, oh, let's go up here. And what does it say? He's forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What? What? Can you put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment? Maybe you're walking down the street and you're, you're kind of praying for your neighborhood. You do that? Maybe you're driving. You start praying for this house and this neighbor and this place and over here. And and all of a sudden, the Lord impresses on your heart. You need to go over here. And so you do it. 
And you get there, and then all of a sudden an idea comes to your mind. You go, oh, I got, Lord, I got a great idea. I want to go over here. And the Lord goes, no, 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 don't do that. And you go, what? Why wouldn't I do that? You've called me to take the gospel. You've called me to make disciples. You've commanded me to do that. Why wouldn't I do that? (laughs) Paul's going, come on. Lord, are you serious? Look at all the look at all the fruit that we could have over here. The Holy Spirit says, "No, no, you're not permitted to do this. You're forbidden. Forbidden literally means prevented or restrained. Restrained." Paul's chomping at the bit. Come on, Lord, let's go. I got the gospel of grace. I want to take it to these people they've never heard. And the Holy Spirit is restraining him, saying, "No, you can't do that." So Paul kind of shakes himself off. What the world's going on here? And he goes on and he wants wants to get over to Bithynia. They're trying to get there. They go to Mysia. They're trying to get into Bithynia. And this time it says the spirit of Jesus doesn't permit them. Permit means allow. Now understand something. In the language of this, this wasn't just a one-time try. In the language of this, this is Paul is continuing to try. And the Holy Spirit's continuing to forbid. (laughs) And then Paul shakes himself off and he's continuing to try. And the Spirit of Jesus comes to him and says, no, you're not permitted to go there. Folks, I think we have a lot of lessons to learn in this. I do. Sometimes we take what God's called us to do. Sometimes we take good things. Sometimes we take even biblical mandated things. But we take away from it the idea of following God in the midst of it. And we get our idea. We get our thought. We say, this is what, this is what we ought to do. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. This is what we got to do. This is where we got to go. Of course we're supposed to do this. And we've eliminated God right out of the process. The Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign over our lives. He's sovereign over the timing of things. He knows what he wants to do when it needs to be done. And the question is, where is God at work and are we willing to follow him? Are we sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit that when he tells us to go, we go immediately? Or when he says no, that we take our hands immediately off of it and say, you know best. You know how to do this better than we do. See, Paul here is being challenged. Paul here is growing himself in the faith. Paul is learning to walk with God. And we have this awesome picture of what that means and what that looks like. Because there's times where we think we're right. We think we know better. And they become no-brainer issues. Paul could have said to the Lord, you called me to this. This is what you told me I'm supposed to do. But obviously it wasn't the right time. It wasn't within the will or the framework of what God wanted. God had a better plan. He had a better way. Are we sensitive to the leading of the Lord in those things? If God tells us to go, we go. If he tells us to stop, We stop. 
Verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the spirit of, of the Lord stops them. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of, of Jesus stops them. They go on to Troas, and at the and nighttime he has this vision of a man appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Help us. Paul wakes up. In verse 10, he says, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That word concluding is really interesting. It means to knit together, knit together. Let me ask you this. Was it the vision that Paul said, oh, I know the will of God now? I think the vision was a piece of the puzzle. A vision was one of the threads. The other threads involved not being able to go where he wanted to go. Constantly trying, constantly striving, being told no by the Holy Spirit, being told no by the Spirit of Jesus. And in the midst of that, Paul then has this vision, and he wakes up and he goes, Oh. That's what God's trying to say. And he takes all the pieces of the puzzle. He takes all the thread. And he realizes that God's been knitting something together. And he comes to that conclusion that God's calling us to go over here. Something they hadn't thought of. They didn't realize. And then I love this. They immediately go. Folks, when, when the Lord is at work in your life, there's all kinds of ways that God begins to weave into the story what it is that he wants you to do, what he wants me to do. There's all kinds of ways that God begins to orchestrate events and, and people and using the word of God and the impression of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to direct our paths. The question is, are we willing to follow? He's at work all around us, all around us. Are we listening? Are we attentive? Are we evaluating things with biblical eyes? With a relational perspective that God is ahead of us. And God is orchestrating these things. And that we have the privilege of following him in the midst of it. And then are we willing to follow immediately? Immediately. Verse 11, putting out the sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. Well, as he says, Philippi is a Roman colony. It's an important city with regard to Macedonia. It's kind of a gateway city, if you will, into Macedonia, into southern Europe. And it's very clear that the Lord led Paul led this team to go there to preach the gospel. They go there, they begin to share Christ, and God uses that particular moment in order for the gospel to spread up into Europe, ultimately to America. God knows what he wants to do, and he knows why he wants to do it. He knows the timing of things. He knows when people are ready to receive the word of God. He knows when their hearts are prepared he knows what the ground looks like and he knows whether it needs to be plowed or whether it needs to have the seed planted or whether it needs to have the water on it for the seed to grow. But in the midst of it all, God's the one that grows everything. He knows it all. 
The question is, are we following him? Are we trusting him? Are we walking with him? Are we sensitive to his leadership? Even when he says no. Or maybe it's wait. Well, we see the fruit of this. There's the reception of the gospel here in verse 13. On the Sabbath day, when we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Evidently, there's not many Jews here, as there was not a synagogue. And so they did the next best thing. Normally, as you can see this in the first missionary journey, Paul would go to the synagogue. He would proclaim the gospel to the Jews first. Here, we're not told that, so we come to the conclusion that there weren't a lot of Jewish people there. There wasn't a synagogue that had been established. So they go out to the river, which was the practice of people when there wasn't a synagogue. And it was on the Sabbath, and there were God-fearers there. One of them is Lydia. And they're gathered there for prayer. We're told that Lydia was from Thyatira. We're told that she is a seller of purple fabric. Thyatira was famous for this. She was evidently wealthy, as later on we find out that she owns a home. Evidently, she's not married, as it was her home, and her husband's never mentioned in this. She had a household. It could have been her family, as well as maybe some of the servants that she has. It says she's a worshiper of God. We, we saw that about Cornelius earlier. The Roman centurion that was used by the Lord in order to, to show that God was bringing the gospel message to the Gentiles and saving them in the same exact way that he had saved the Jews and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and his household. He was called a worshiper of God. It means to respect It's talked about or spoken of Gentile proselytes. It says that she was listening. She was listening. Active. Meaning she was inclining her ears to hear what it was that Paul was saying. I love that. God opened her heart. The Lord's the one that has to approach all of us first and foremost in order for us to even realize that we're in need of him. But we have a choice to make as to listen. Are we going to listen to what God has to say? She had been listening. She's there for prayer. She's a worshiper of God. She's a respecter of God. She recognizes the one true God. She's there for prayer at the edge of that river, and Paul is sent by God to go to this place because God knows that this is where the gospel is going to take a foothold and then spread into Europe, ultimately into America. Years later, God opens her heart, and she responds in belief to the gospel of God's grace. Wow. <laughs> God's at work all around us. Are we following him? Are we listening to what he has to say? God knows exactly whose hearts are ready to receive the message. Are we being careful, attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives? As God transforms us, God grows us, God conforms us to his image, are we walking with him day by day so that in all the contacts that we have throughout the day, we're being directed by the Lord, go this way, don't go that way. 
Verse 15, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Beautiful picture of salvation. She believes in the Lord. The Lord opens her heart. She's paying close attention to what the word of God says through the apostle Paul. She believes, she becomes a believer and she's baptized her and her whole household. Evidently she went and she shared Christ with her whole household. They also come to know Christ. I can't help but think in the midst of this reading between the lines that in part it's because of her life that her household's willing to listen to her because they know she's a God-fearer, they know she's a godly woman, they know she's a respecter of God. And when she comes to them and presents to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they too recognize that they are in need of salvation by grace, through faith, in Christ Jesus alone. And then she invites them all. She's baptized, she gives an external representation of what God has done internally, and then she urges Paul and Silas and the team with Timothy to stay in their house. Let me give you four things this morning when it comes to the will of God. Has anybody been frustrated trying to figure out the will of God? Come on, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> A couple of you raised your hand. Can I ask this again? Has anybody ever been frustrated in trying to figure out or discern the will of God Come on. I mean, there's times where we go, what? (laughs) Lord, what are you doing? It brings us to these crises of belief, right? And all of a sudden, in the midst of our lives, we're, we're going, Lord, what's your will? What's your will? What's your will? What's your will? You know what? I think there's a trap in this. We're coming up on Easter. I love Cadbury eggs, okay? I really do. And I I can remember doing Easter egg hunts, right, where I could open it up, and sometimes my dad would put money in it. Those those were good. And sometimes it would be jelly beans. Sometimes it would be Cadbury eggs, sugar. But we kind of treat God like the great Easter bunny in the sky when it comes to discerning his will. Don't we? Oh, Lord, what's your will? And we run around, and we try to figure it out, and we're running around and grabbing this egg, and we're opening it up and going, is this it? Is this it? And then we run over here, and we go, is this it? Folks, <laughs> discerning the will of God is not like an Easter egg hunt. Do you realize God wants you to know his will? That was like revel- revelation for me when I was young. God's not trying to hide his will from us. And sometimes we get so caught up in trying to figure out the will of God that we totally take our eyes off of God. And all of a sudden we're overwhelmed in the circumstance. And then we wonder why we can't hear correctly. Or why we're not being transformed. Why we're suddenly not at peace. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. Build in your relationship with the Lord. Get into the word of God. Be transformed by the Lord, and I guarantee you, God will make his will known when he knows it's the right time and when he knows we're ready to listen. Let me give you four things real quick. First of all, the word. It's essential. You can't discern the will of God apart from the word of God. Absolutely cannot happen. And people that say, oh, I know the will of God, and they're never in the word of God, how is that possible? 
It's not. What happens a lot of times is we get into the midst of circumstances that are difficult and trying, and all of a sudden, we start to demand that God reveals his will to us, but we haven't been building a relationship through the word of God all along. And we're not ready to listen. We're not ready to hear. We have no sense of God's leading. We have no perspective with regard to God's ways. And so now we become like uh, really annoying little kids that are demanding from God the candy that we so desperately want. Now I've got to tell you something. When we put God in that box, there's no way he's going to answer us. It's when we begin to die to self and we begin to come to the Lord on his terms, in his way, that God says, oh, now you're ready to receive what it is that I want to say to you. Get into the word of God. It's essential. It's not just essential on Sunday mornings. It's essential every day. It's an essential thing in every area of our lives. The second thing is prayer. Folks, prayer is not me going to God, telling him what a great idea I've got, asking him to bless it. Prayer is me going to God saying, Lord, I don't have a clue. Would you change my heart? Would you change me? Prayer takes place all the time. In Thessalonians, Paul says, pray without ceasing. What does he mean? Does he mean come here 24-7? No. What he's saying is there should never be a moment in time where a believer does not acknowledge our desperate need of God. Prayer is a relational factor here. Prayer is me coming before the Lord, acknowledging who he is, and saying, Lord, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you help me? Because I need you. Lord, change me. Give me your insight and perspective on things. Godly people. Godly people. I love this. When we have an idea, we think, we think this is what we're supposed to do. You know, one of the w- most wonderful things to do is go to people that you know have a personal relationship and a godly walk with Christ and say, could you give me some wisdom on this? Can you help me think, is this correct? Am I thinking about this biblically? Am I, am I going about this the right way? Do you have any insight into this for me? It's amazing how God will use godly people in your life in order to help challenge you, to direct you, maybe to, to help you think about something you'd never thought about before. And it's amazing how godly people will use the word of God in order to do that. <laughs> They'll say, oh, do you remember? Man, there's a verse here. Let me, let me share this with you. And you go, wow, I never thought about that. Praise God. And lastly, and I don't think it's last, but there's other ways. What about your circumstances? What did Paul just go through? He's trying to discern the will of God. Lord, we want to go over here. No. We want to go there. No. We want to go there. No, no, no. (laughs) Sometimes God uses circumstances that he orchestrates within our lives in order to, to get us to where he knows he wants us. And actually, as we're walking with the Lord, where we really want to be, it's just that we didn't expect it to go the path that he took us on. So four things, the word, prayer, godly people, and circumstances. When those things begin to line up, and when God begins to orchestrate those things in your life, then you can begin, oh, that's the direction that God's leading me in. Thank you, Lord. Step by step, moment by moment. God's at work all around us, folks. All around us. Are we willing to follow him? That's the issue. 
Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.